Hi, and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis, and I'll be your host for this evening. Tonight is a special evening. We're actually going to be doing um, both a podcast and a video cast, and we're going to be doing it specially for a friend of mine, um, Cage. He is, you can find him at Rage in the Cage on YouTube, and a very special guy to me. Um, we didn't serve together, but we served in the military, and uh, he's he's one of the guys that I uh, I, I have been able to um, do some podcasting with before, and uh, have really enjoyed uh, collaborating with him. So actually, tonight is a little bit of collaboration with him. We had some internet issues and weren't able to get up on, at the same time at on on a, on our podcasting platform so yeah <laughs> one of those wonderful issues but uh hey cage how's it going and uh we're going to be uh talking today about how to uh, choose your site that you're going to put your bees on so you're going to be doing a site survey and that site survey will inform you as to what special needs your bees have in that area. Um, I'm also doing this in answer to um, Brett Olson and, and Michael Thomas uh, from Homesteading Today. Um, they also asked me to uh, cover some of this stuff on um, a podcast for them. So uh, this one's for you guys. <laughs> All right. So um, usually on our podcasts, uh, I'm I'm doing this podcast uh, usually at work, and I'm usually um, just doing it in between the times that I can, and I have some some uh, <laughs> some extra time to talk with you guys. But tonight's a special night in that I'm actually podcasting from home. I am not podcasting from my uh, bunker of freedom. <laughs> I am podcasting from the living room. So I apologize if I have some uh, barking dogs in the background. I have two Pomeranians and a Husky who love to talk while I'm talking. <laughs> so <laughs> I apologize in advance for that. Okay, so when we're looking at putting bees in an area, um, it is something that you need to be looking at prior to getting your bees and the reason is is that you have to do a lot of homework and a little bit of driving and a little bit of google earthing and uh, then you also have to meet your neighbors and you have to do a few things off season prior to getting your bees so right now is a perfect time for you to go out and meet your neighbors it's a perfect time to look up on google earth and and find uh, what you need. Um, however, it's not such a perfect time for you to figure out um, some of the uh, aspects that you're going to need to know prior to getting bees. So hopefully you're able to order your bees now, which is the time that beekeepers usually order their bees. And by now, right now it is January 21. So you are going to be looking for someone to purchase your bees from. Uh, you're going to be deciding whether you're going to purchase your bees in a package, which is 
two pounds of bees and a queen, or if you're going to be buying a nuke, which is a tested queen who has laid eggs, larvae, and pupa are in the in the box with her and as soon as you take that baby hive and plop it into your hive it is ready to go and off and running so um, you have to decide between which one you're doing and then after you've decided you go and you find somebody who's supplying that particular type of thing and then you're going to be um, starting your site survey um, and if you can start a site survey much prior, like the year before, it's even better, of course, because you have some extra time to get out and about. So why don't we start first with uh, Google uh, search on uh, Google Maps. Um, usually everybody has access to Google Maps and unless they change things in the near future where they're charging for it. It's free and able to be... Um, utilized on your computer. So what you're going to do is you have a tentative area that you're thinking about setting up your bees. Now, as beekeepers, you don't necessarily have to have your bees on your land. Um, you can. So um, many people have their bees in their backyard and, uh, and that's all good and fine. Um, however, there are some instances like mine when I first started out where that's not possible. Uh, I had uh, four elderly ladies who didn't have husbands um, and they decided that the way that they were going to garden was they were going to sp spray pesticide and herbicide on things that they didn't want uh, pests or weeds in. So my bees got a double dose of poison every single year from all four ladies. <laughs> so it was not possible for me in the first years that I started doing beekeeping to have bees in my area. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, but fortunate for the bees, unfortunately, uh, a lot of these ladies have passed away and or have given up their homes and moved into a group home setting. And so... Um, this last year was the first year that I was able to have bees in my backyard without having dead bees in my backyard. So that's that's one thing that you need to know. Getting to know your neighbors and having your neighbors um, tell you how they're treating their uh, pests and how they're treating their herb, the, the weeds and stuff coming in. Um, getting to know them and letting them know that if they are going to be spraying poison to please let you know about a week in advance so that you can stop up the hive the day that they're doing it or put a net over the hive the day they're doing it so that the bees can't escape and get themselves into trouble. Because <laughs> bees, they're just wonderful at getting into trouble. <laughs> Um, so the other thing that you need to, to do is on Google search, you're going to go, or Google Maps, you're going to go on there and in a five kilometer radius, you're going to look and check to see what is in a five kilometer radius around your uh, apiary. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, apiary means the place that you're putting your beehives. Okay, so within that within that five kilometer area, you're going to um, 
take a picture of it and then in every kilometer square area within that five kilometer circle you're going to blow it up and you're going to take a look at the area that is surrounding your center point and you're going to say okay what kind of crops does Google Earth show you because it'll show you you know either that it's grassland that it's swamp that it is uh, um, land out by farmers or it's going to tell you that it's urban area okay so you're going to you're going to blow up each of these squares and you're going to take a look at what's in every one of these squares you're going to make a printout and then you're going to start going around to all of your neighbors within this five kilometer range and you're going to say hi <laughs> my name's so and so and i'm a beekeeper i'm going to be placing bees at this location and you're going to say you know my house at 4297 uh, Beekeeper Street, you know, and you're going to give them the address. You're going to say, um, I'm going to be keeping bees here. And in order for me to be able to uh, sell the honey for humans to use, even if you're not selling the honey, if you're, I'm going to sell the honey for humans to use. So I, I need to talk to you about how you uh, treat your... Um, your plants in your backyard if you spray them or how you get rid of pests in your backyard backyard if you spray those as well and uh, you're gonna have to have business cards printed up for them and, uh, and a great thing to take to them is some honey in a jar so what I would suggest for those of you who are not beekeepers yet who are going to be beekeepers is go to a big box store or a big uh, store like Costco or someplace else and you're going to buy the biggest thing of honey that you can possibly get uh, and you're going to buy like five or six of them you're going to go home you're going to get yourself some jars I would suggest some 500 mil jars so that's half a liter um, and uh, you're going to get those they're smaller jars and you're going to fill them up with the honey from Costco. <laughs> okay, because you don't have any of your own honey yet. But what you're doing is you are um, giving them some swag, some, some giveaway honey, in order to gain some compliance from them to call you and tell you when they are going to be spraying, when they're going to be doing some of the other things. And at this time when you're talking to them, you're also going to be telling them um, if you see any bee, um, any bees forming in a big ball in your area, please let me know so that I can come and get them before they cause an issue. <laughs> and explain to them that bees naturally divide the hives and they don't let you know when they're going to do that. And you have to be the person responsible to come and pick up these bees and you really want them because you are there to help save the bees air quotes there um, and you are going to um, you're going to tell them that if they do get into trouble usually what they do is they find the worst place that they can go into they will go into there and then it needs to be cut out so literally you'll have to take 
barn boards off the barn to get at them, or you will have to um, open the soffit and get into the soffit and get after them. And usually it costs the homeowner money. So it is important for them to know that you are going to be the one who takes care of this for them. And that if they see something like that, they need to give you a call because you are wanting to tell you are wanting to help them out <laughs> and so they will call you and literally they'll call you if there are bees in their garbage can eating the sugary substance that they threw away they will call you when there is a bee on their flower but the thing is you want to encourage them to to call you when they have bee questions you are their subject expert okay so and a good thing to do when you're talking with neighbors is take along a printed out picture of a bunch of bees in a ball right so so when bees go from your hive to somewhere else they're going to go to a branch or go to some place underneath a roof and they're going to hang in a big ball so you want to be able to show the neighbors this is what they look like when they are traveling and this is what they look like when they're in your house <laughs> and uh, get a picture of a cutout and that is somebody who has taken the boards off a house or taken the boards off of a barn and is scooping out the sticky goopy stuff out of their walls Okay, so you say, we want to catch them in the ball, not in the house, okay? <laughs> and that's, that's the plan that you're going to be going. And, and you give them the, the, the jar of honey and say, I would really appreciate it if you gave me those tips. Here is my card. Put it on your, your, um, um, your, your refrigerator. And uh, if you have any trouble with bees at all, give me a call. I will see what I can do for you. There are some tips and tricks that you can give out as well as far as getting rid of wasps. And this might be an in for you to make a little bit of extra money on the side. Let them know that you get rid of wasps as well because you have a bee suit. <laughs> and uh, let them know that um, you charge a little bit to get rid of wasps, but you don't charge to get rid of bees because you want the bees and the bees make you money. The wasps don't make you any money at all. And um, getting rid of wasps is really simple. Once you know where they have uh, put their house, literally you just douse it with some soap water and they're done. <laughs> soap water is really good for them uh, to get rid of wasps because it, uh, their gill slits are horizontal and when you spray it on them, um, the water usually drips right across because of the water uh, water tension, the viscosity. It, it just drips right across the gills and falls off. But with soap in that water, it goes into the gills and drowns them. So it's a real simple thing to do. And you know what? You can make a little bit of extra money, not much, but a little bit of extra money getting rid of their wasps. And you will get rid of their bees for them for free. <laughs> See what I'm saying here? So as you're going around, you're educating, you're possibly getting some freebies from them in the future, and you're telling them that you offer some additional services. So that's what you're doing when you're going around. And yes, this is part of your survey for, for your apiary. Um, beekeepers who have 
literally a hundred hives in an area will omit doing this and they will piss their neighbors off so bad that they will actually go to uh, the, the um, force of police force of making you sad and they will complain and those people those uh department of making you sad will come out and make you sad and tell you you can't do this that or the other thing so it's in your interest to go out make friends with the neighbors hand them some swag tell them what you do show them the difference between bees and wasps show them the difference between bees traveling and i want these bees tell me now and bees in the wall and you're going to have to pay me to dig them out <laughs> okay and you do all that education you shake their hand look them straight in the eye and say please help me help the bees and then you go on to the next neighbor okay so that's that's what you do in your area and um bees have our beekeepers have succeeded or failed just on that little point right there so please go out and do that okay so as you're doing your survey you're going to be taking a look at is there any water within five kilometers of where you are if there is not you are going to need to have some water for them okay so bees when they go and fly um, have this wonderful habit of dropping their crap as they fly so they will not drink water close to their hive because they don't want to be drinking their own crap. So, um, and so you do not, if you're supplying bees with water, you will not put water by their hives. You will put water at the other end of your um, yard, wherever your yard, wherever your bee yard is. Um, we're talking 50, 70 feet away. If you can, the farthest you can away from them, you're going to put some water. What does that look like? Well, a great way to uh, give water to your bees and to have them really like that water is if you make yourself a pond. Ponds are wonderful for bees because it mixes um, the minerals from the dirt. It mixes um, um, any, any other wonderful things that they need from the environment in your pond. And um, it gives a flavor and a direction, a smell to the bees. So the bees will come back to their hive after sampling the water and they will trade off a drop of the water and say, this is what the water tastes like. It is yummy. And they will trade it off to several different bees and they'll go, oh yeah. And they'll say, this is what it smells like. And they'll say, great. And then they will all go and fly after doing their little dance saying it's this direction and this far. Um, they will fly back to that water source every time, every day. They will be visiting that water source. Okay, so, and it's memorable for them. Now, if you have neighbors with pools, you are going to have a sad time. <laughs> neighbors with pools put chlorine in their pools. And if the bees don't have closer uh, water sources, they will go directly to the pools and the reason is is because the pools have chlorine in them and it's got a distinct taste and smell so they will go and suck that up go share it with their friends go tell them where it is give them a taste and a, and a, and a smell and those bees will go there every single time 
There is nothing you can do except make your own source of water for them that is closer to stop them from going to the pool. If the neighbors have a pool cover, that would be great, but I'm going to tell you what, those bees are going to go there anyways, and they're going to step on the pool cover and get their little drink and fly away because what have they just done? Put a huge big lily pad on the top of the water and the bees will go and jump right on the lily pad and get a drink and go back home. So uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that's one of the things when you have bees. And you have to tell the um, neighbors that you are doing this and that they are going to have to worry about that if they have a if they have a pool. You might end up changing the place of your uh, apiary because your neighbors have a named pool. All right. You are also going to have to worry about uh, first flowers. So in your survey of the area, as you're walking around in the spring, you're going to be looking for first flowers. And in every area, first flowers are going to be different. You have to write down in a journal when you get your first flowers. And every year that you go out, you are looking for first flowers and you're writing it in your journal. And you're going to compare it to a five-year time when you have first flowers because it will be different every year, but it'll be round about the same time. You will also be looking for things that happen at the same time that are closer to you that your first flowers come out on. So for example, for me, it's dandelions are our first flowers. Also, we have first flowers which are our um, flowering trees, uh, such as uh, apple trees and, and uh, cherry trees. So our flowering trees and, and our dandelions. Um, something that usually happens right before we get our dandelions is that we um, start noticing, well, first of all, the, all the snow is gone. And second of all, we start noticing that um, we start getting buds on the trees. And, and right after the buds come, then the flowers pop up. So as we're walking along, we start seeing buds on the tree. Then we're like, oh, yeah, it's about time for first flowers. The reason that's important is if your bees wake up a month and a half before first flower, you are going to have to feed those bees up until the time that first flowers come. And it can get quite costly. <laughs> especially if you have more than two hives because you are going to be feeding them nectar or or sugar water and you're going to be feeding them protein which is protein patties and it can get quite expensive and at the beginning of the year finding somebody who has protein patties is freaking difficult because everybody gets protein patties at the same time so note to self if you have the opportunity to pick up protein patties at the end of the year, they don't go bad. You can either put them in your freezer or you can keep them refrigerated and they won't go bad. So you can pick them up at the end of the year for the next year. Also, you're going to be going to Costco or some other place um, that sells bulk sugar and you're going to be buying a 10 kilo bag. Like I'm talking a lot of sugar. 
and you're going to be buying possibly 15, 20 bags, depending on how long your non-flower season at the beginning is. So my non-flower season is usually about two months. So they're awake in um, late March, early April, they start coming out. As soon as we hit plus 10, they break uh, their cluster and they start coming out looking for food. And oh my gosh, are they hungry. They will, they will search out food anywhere. They will go into your bird feeder and pull out pieces of corn because it kind of sort of resembles protein. They will go and fly into your house looking for sources of nectar. So because that's the case, you're going to be putting protein patties on their hives. You're going to have to open up the hives a little early and throw your protein patties on the very top and close them up. You open protein patty, close up really quick because you don't want to let out all the heat out of the, out of the hive. And you're going to want to be able to have either a hive top feeder or be able to have the, the, uh, a bucket on top of your hive dripping through a hole in the lid on the hive so that the bees can come up and take the nectar and go down and feed their, their uh, family down below or uh, store it down below. So knowing your timetable of your area is very important as well. Now, so you've got water and we've just covered food. What other things are we going to have to look for when we go and look on a site survey? We've covered poisons, we've covered neighbors, we've covered um, some of the issues and problems. Uh, one of the things that you're going to have to look for on top of that is you're going to have to look at your pest population. So what kind of things would that be? Wasps, um, raccoons, skunks. You're going to have to look for two-legged predators um, and, and check the police files for uh, in your area if there have been any thefts of hives in your area. And if there are, we have a way of taking care of that a little bit later. Um, so you're going to need to look at all the pests and predators in the area. Now, if you're in... If you're putting your hives in an area that has cattle in it or deer in it, you're going to need to know that you are going to have to put your, 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 um, your hives on pallets. And usually during the winter, you put four hives on a pallet and you strap all four hives down to the pallet with your uh, ratchet straps. You ratchet strap those suckers down tight because um, your, um, the, the land that you've uh, leased or the land that you are borrowing from your farmer and rancher will have cattle on it and they will walk over and if your hives are big enough, they will find a nice itchy place to itch right on the edge of the hive and knock it over. And uh, deer are just inquisitive little things and they'll go over and they'll push on a hive with their head, and when they realize that it's not going anywhere, then the, then the young bucks will, you know, in the fall, they'll be scratching their, their horns on the hive, and, uh, 
and they're they're little turds <laughs> and of course if you leave uh, a nice little um, uh, frame on the side of the hive that has your plastic inserts in in the frame they'll step on it and break it <laughs> had that happen so you need to know all of the pests you need to be able to um, know how to uh, overcome some of the problems with the pests um, in the spring when you start seeing uh, wasps come out if you mitigate wasps right away in the spring you won't have them later on so um, in the spring wasps are only the female wasps survive they are fertilized and they're ready to go just like bumblebees and so the female will get out and she will do her collecting of the food early on so you if you go and you um, get rid of the nest early in the spring or if you uh, somehow capture the queen early in the spring then you don't have to worry about the hundreds and hundreds of wasps that are going to show up on your doorstep from the same hive later on because you're getting the queen you're not having to worry about the rest of the wasps so that's that's something you need to be aware of as well um, you're also going to have to be uh, checking out for uh, things that will help you so <laughs> You are going to have to um, be looking for uh, lower areas and sheltered areas from the wind. So the lower areas are, um, they usually have a, a microclimate. So if you're in a valley without a water source, <laughs> learned about that one too. Um, if you're in a valley without a water source, that is a great place for you to keep your hives because it is warmer during the winter, usually protected from those heavy winds, and uh, it's a great place to be. Um, if it has a water source, you have a chance of being flooded out. I lost 16 hives on, I believe it was my third season. <laughs> I lost 16 hives that had made it through the winter and I floated them downstream. So <laughs> you need to be careful that, about water sources in valleys. Um, the one in 50 year floods are going to happen next year after you put them in. <laughs> I promise you. I promise you. So um, you need to look for things that can help you to keep you out of the wind, um, maximize the sun, and uh, um, make it so that your hives will do a whole lot better. Um, Sun exposure, it's been widely believed that sun exposure in the springtime is beneficial to bees because it gives them a longer period of time that they can be up and about um, where it is plus 10 or more. Um, if, it, if they are in the shade, a lot of times they won't reach plus 10 uh, literally for a month or two prior to them or as, as they're coming out. And you have to hit the plus 10 before you start getting the um, breakup of the, um, the cluster. So th that's another thing that you need to be looking at. Now, if you are in an area where you cannot 
put your hives in a valley where you cannot put your hives in a warm place. Like a lot of, a lot of Canadians, a lot of Albertans actually ship their bees over to British Columbia, which is a province over, and um, they put their hives in uh, um, a warmer climate closer to the border um, and in a valley. And so, um, you know, over there in BC on the southern border, uh, fairly close to the ocean is a wonderful place to overwinter your bees. I can't afford that. <laughs> so I have to winter them here. So if you can't put them in a Quonset to keep them at a certain temperature, if you can't ship them over to BC, you're going to end up keeping them outside. And that's perfectly fine, but what you're going to end up having to do is you're going to have to mitigate some of the problems. So some of the problems would be uh, wind. So up here in Canada, we have really bad wind. It's called a Chinook. And when it starts getting warmer, the Chinook is what brings the warm air across the prairies. But we really get some good blows, like really good windstorms. And... Um, we also, during the winter time, have some really cold, cold, cold winds. And uh, those cold winds are what um, does kill off a lot of our bees. But um, the warm, cold, warm, cold, warm, cold also kills off the bees. So. If there's a way of creating a microclimate within where you're putting your bees, and by a microclimate what I mean is that you need an area that you can decrease the amount of wind, increase the humidity, so that your temperatures are kept down. And so by putting a fence literally within five feet of where the hives are, on, on two sides, or sometimes even on three sides, is best. And so you need to know which direction your winds usually come from. Sometimes, like for here in, in southern Alberta, we get our majority of our winds from the east and the north. The north winds are usually the coldest, and they're usually the nastiest. And then the... Um, um, east winds are the ones that usually bring the storms um, with all the water. They, it comes up over top of the Rockies and then comes down onto the prairies and we get a dump of water or snow. But uh, lots and lots of wind from that direction. So our, if we're going to put walls around our bees to create a microclimate, it's going to be, for me, on the east and on the north. We also get warmer um, winds coming from the south. So we like that, and so we don't necessarily want to stop that. <laughs> However, um, if you're in the backyard, of course you've got you know, your, your uh, fence on all sides, and if you have board fences, then of course it's creating that nice microclimate for you anyways. Increasing the, the um, humidity is putting a pond in your backyard or putting a pond close to your apiary. And that's what you want. Not too close so that the bees don't poop in it, but close enough to do that.
And, and that's some of the things that you want to do to get ready. Um, you're going to want to take a survey to see what kind of bee, what kind of bee food is in your area. So whether that is oil, sunflowers, canola, um, if it's alfalfa, or if it is clover, or some of the other crops, you're going to need to know what kind of honey comes from those kind of plants. Um, canola gives you wonderful, um, not so sweet honey. And when it, when it uh, solidifies, when it crystallizes, it is difficult to get it uncrystallized. So if you're getting canola honey coming in, you're going to be needing to change out your honey box a lot sooner than if you're getting um, some clover or um, um, alfalfa honey coming in, okay? So, and I really dislike um, canola honey because it plugs up your, your hives and it makes it so that you have to process literally every month, month and a half. You have to go out there, pull off all the boxes and uh, do your, do your uh, uncapping, spinning it out in a centrifuge, um, putting it into a jar. You can't let it sit because it'll crystallize. And usually you have to mix your canola honey with another type of honey, such as alfalfa, in order to get the sweeter flavor and to, to keep it from totally crystallizing. Um, if you're going to be doing creamed honey, which has absolutely nothing to do with cream, <laughs> if you're going to be whipping your honey and selling it as creamed honey, um, you're going to have to make sure that the crystals that you provide as the seed crystals are small crystals because canola honey has large crystals. So just, just have to keep that in mind as you're going around finding out what's in your area, what kind of flowers you're going to be doing. In an urban environment, you actually have a really good amount of flowers that you're going to be able to take advantage of. If you have the ability to um, plant in your area prior to getting bees, the best thing to plant is actually trees and shrubs because you will have more flowers per um, plant and um, they usually put out nectar for a longer period of time. Um, plants that are um, annuals and, and even some perennials, the moment that flower is fertilized, that plant shuts down production of nectar to that flower. So even though the flower might still be there, the production of nectar is gone and they might still have some pollen there, but that's just about it. So just so that you're going through seeing. And then a good thing to do while you have bees and you're continuing your site survey is you're going to be checking to see throughout the season what flowers are blooming, what flowers the bees are actually visiting um, because there are some flowers that the bees won't visit at all and that's because they don't like the taste of it or because it does not produce enough nectar for them to even go to. And bees maximize their visits by 
um, going to an area that has lots of flowers in it. So if you have your side yard that has 15 perennial flowers in it, they're probably not going to pay attention to that at all. They're going to go to the field of alfalfa. They're going to go to the, the neighbor who doesn't have, um, who hasn't sprayed his lawn for, for, uh, with, um, herbicides to get rid of the clover. They're going to go snack on that because there are tons of flowers over there with the clover. So, um, just know that they, they maximize their trips by going to the places that have the nectar. And your flowers will not have uh, same nectar bearing periods. So you can get flowers that have spring bearing, summer bearing, or fall bearing. And in the summer, you usually have like two or three periods where you have flowers in each of those periods. So just so that you're looking through and you're doing your survey, you're seeing where the flowers are, you're seeing what they're visiting, you're seeing um, what stuff is available at what time. And uh, also when you're continuing your seeding survey after you get your bees, you can, you can put honey out on a picnic table or out on a plate and you can tell when the flowers turn on the nectar flow and when they turn it off by the bees will go to the honey before on the plate or on the picnic table before the nectar starts and then they will stop eating that go and fly to the nectar bearing plants take the nectar from there and then as soon as the plants stop bearing nectar they will come back to the plate or the picnic table and start munching again on honey so that's one of the ways that you get to know when this this happens and 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 when when the plants are putting out nectar uh, another thing that you want to do is you will want to go and check out um what i would term be natural disaster areas <laughs> so if you are putting your bees right beside a highway you are going to lose a lot of bees on the windshields of the vehicles because bees don't go over um, high over top of a uh, uh, road, they will fly straight across the road. And of course, they'll be smacked by whatever traffic that is coming through. So if you have a high traffic um, Trans-Canada Highway, let's just say, and you have your bees, beehives right next to the Trans-Canada Highway, you're going to lose a lot of bees on that Trans-Canada Highway. And it's going to be horrific for that poor colony. Okay. Um, the other things that you need to look out for would be um, areas that have um, um, in, in certain areas they have, I guess what they would call um, wind tunnels. So they have an area where wind will blow through this area all the time and your bees will fly out thinking everything's great and they'll go through this area that the wind through, blows through all the time and they'll get blown half a kilometer down the wind stream. And then they'll get out of that wind thing and they'll be like, where the hell am I? And so them finding their way back to the hive is gonna be a whole hell of a lot harder. Um, they will eventually take that into account when they do their little dance in the hive. But uh, honestly, <laughs> 
if you have if you have an area where the wind blows through fast enough that it will take them for a ride you might want to consider locating in another area as well as with the highway you might want to consider locating in another area so any bee disasters like that you need to think about is this actually the best area for me okay um I'm trying to think here all right um, another thing that you might want to look at is your water table um, you're going to look at your water table if your water table is close to the top of the ground you're going to want to raise your hives up <laughs> okay um, and the reason is, is is it will wreck the wood underneath the hive it will wreck the bottom of the hive it will get water vapor up into the hive and cause a lot of issues. So you need to know your water table, whether the water is close to the surface. If you have runoff in that area so that it runs away from the hive. Um, a lot of good that I had in my first few years of, of beekeeping is I had um, several four by fours that were set um, into the ground and they raised the hive up about three feet off the ground. So literally the, the weeds on the ground didn't matter a single thing for me because the, the, most of the hives were up farther than where the weeds were. So I didn't have to go around and weed whip and get stung every time I was weed whipping. <laughs> and um, it made it so that it was up above the ground where there was no water in that area. Um, and no water vapor going up into my hive. Also, another thing that you need to think about is the type of equipment that you're going to be running. I always suggest a solid bottom. I do not believe in these screen bottoms. Don't. <laughs> but if you have screen bottoms, they should not be close to the ground because if you have water vapor on the ground, you know, if it rains and it goes underneath your hive and it water vapor rises through your hive, you're causing yourself problems. And you don't wanna cause yourself problems. You wanna give the bees the best advantage as you can. Now, the whole entire thing, the whole entire um, uh, question of uh, screen bottoms and that, changes as you get further down south as you get towards the hotter areas where you know you're getting 100 plus degrees fahrenheit um, every day you know you might want to consider having a screen bottom but if you're up here in canada where you're getting um, temperatures of uh, um, minus six at night and then and then plus 15 during the day um, having a screen bar or a screen bottom is not a viable thing. You can't, you can't keep bees alive with screen bottom boards. Um, it's like having a screen door on a submarine. It just doesn't work. <laughs> All right. So what are some of the other things that we can think of? Now you might want to consider access to the location. Um, picking up your beehive and carting it half a kilometer down the hill to get to your truck so that you can take away your honey boxes is not a fun thing. So being able to drive your vehicle up right up next to where you're doing your apiary and being able to offload your honey boxes onto a truck is a good thing. <laughs> and if you're getting into a bigger uh, apiary where you have 
you know, 20, 30, 40 boxes, you're going to want to be able to get a flat deck truck in there and you're going to want to be able to possibly get one of those nice little um, forklifts on a cable in order to um, bring the arm over, bring down the cable, slide the forklift under the pallet, lift up the cable, lift it up onto the back of your bed and that way you can transport your hives around. If you are thinking about um, moving your hives to different areas to catch different crops, you're going to need access to drive up, pick up these hives and drive away. The quickest, fastest, easiest way to do things um, when you're doing transporting bees is what you want. You want to try and simplify it as much as possible. Also, um, one of the things that you need to know is if you're in an area that they can, that people can drive up and load up your hives, then you've got some problems. So then you're going to have to start worrying about security. And uh, security is a whole nother podcast, but I, I'm going to tell you right now, um, security is important. At the very bare minimum, every apiary should have a trail cam. That way you know what's messing with your bees, who's stealing your bees, and when. That way, if you need to, you can be sitting out there at four in the morning waiting for Mr. Bear to come along just to give him a little bit of a headache. Got me? Um, and uh, also for um, a site survey, if there is a chance of a two-legged predator coming and carting off your hives, you need to mark your hives. You need to make sure that you think about tiling your hives. So you can get tiles that go inside the hive and uh, they have a GPS marker on them. And if the hives are moved more than two or three feet, they send your phone a little text message that says your hives are moving somewhere and you can go out and actually catch the people in the process of moving the hives off of your apiary. So technology's there, boys and girls, use it. And the one last thing that we're going to be covering is hunting season. <laughs> um, there are, you know, four seasons that we usually deal with. Uh, in the fall, we usually up here in Canada have hunting season and uh, prior to people going out, they'll take their guns out and they'll find something that they can aim at and zero in their guns. Um, if your hives happen to be in the area that they're sighting their guns in, guess what becomes their targets? <laughs> your poor bees. So, um, you have to be aware of the citizenry use of the land roundabout. Um, when you're doing your site survey, you might want to check to see if you happen to be in prime hunting area. You might want to check to see if you're in trapping area. You might want to see if you are in uh, hiking or other areas that uh, people use. And... Uh, it would be a really good idea to be able to start mitigating some of those things. So in the case of uh, target practice, painting your beehives a color that matches the background. So your, your greens, your 
browns, um, you know, uh, not the pink, not the red, not the purple. <laughs> You're going to want to have it blend into the background. And if you do that, um, you're less likely to have two-legged uh, predators and pests come around and bother your hives. Okay, so that's a good start on our site survey. Um, a site survey is very important. It informs you as to how you will um, make your business plan. It will also inform you as to how you will make things work for you. Uh, in the future, what things you need to mitigate, what technology you need to purchase in order to mitigate some of the problems, uh, what structures you need on the property in order to be able to do your beekeeping, in order for you to do your honey extracting. Um, you're going to need to, to think about a lot of different things, but hopefully Brett and Michael, I, I hope that I have uh, answered your questions. Um, please get a hold of me if you do have any more questions. You can reach me at Fat Bee Honey Ranch, all small letters, all stuck together, at gmail.com. And uh, please let me know if you have any additional questions. I'm also in several groups online, such as Homesteading Today on Facebook. Um, I'm also in <laughs> a multitude of other areas, but literally just reach out and say is there a beekeeper who wants to chat and uh, those of us who have a little bit of experience are more than happy to share what we what we know um, and as far as um, this is one of the things uh, a bee site survey is actually one of the things that you can make a little tiny bit of cash on um, when new beekeepers are coming into the area and they want to set up their, their hives and stuff, of course they're not going to know exactly how to do this. And if you are a beekeeper of several years, you can rent yourself out to these people and, and I, you know, give them a little bit of a break. Um, don't charge them more than $100 for this service, but you go out and you do the Google search for them for a Google map search. You uh, go out and see what kind of flowers, what kind of plants. Um, you share some of the things about first flowers that you've written down in your journal. Um, and share with them some of the pests, some of the things that they need to do. Type it up in a nice little uh, report. Go and walk them around and point this is this and that is that and see that stream You're going to get a flood from that stream sooner or later So you're going to have to have it at the height of your last one in a hundred years or one in a 50 year flood um, You're going to have to go around and say okay, this is this is where the main avenues of approach are This is what you're going to want um, and uh, this is where you're going to probably want to put your pond. This is where you're probably going to want to be able to drive up and visit your bees. This is where you're going to put your fence. All these kind of things that they might need to know. And, you know, charge a hundred bucks and, and uh, put that hundred bucks towards your next season's beekeeping, right? Anyways, I really appreciate you guys listening. You can listen to me on podcasts everywhere but especially on Library or uh, Odyssey. And you can also listen to me on...
You can listen to me on Anchor, which is where that I put this this podcast. Um, but I know that I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on all sorts of podcasts all over the place. Um, again, um, I usually post on my picture uh, Bitcoin um, thing that you can scan and send me some Bitcoin. I'd really appreciate if you like what I'm doing to help support me by sending me a tiny bit of Bitcoin. That would be wonderful. Um, also, you can like and subscribe. Give me five stars and uh, get the algorithm sending people over to visit and, and uh, learn a little bit more about bees. It really helps out. And of course, you know that it uh, <laughs> massages my male ego into doing more of these podcasts for y'all. So please like and subscribe. Thanks. And we will talk to y'all soon.